song and I was listening to the little kids on the gym floor. I'm like, whose kids are those? Then I figured out whose kids they were. So I looked at their mother and I, I should stop now. Ah, uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our family room. It sounds like a family room sometimes. We hear the little feet. We hear the little hollering. We stop to say thank you sometimes. We stand with each other during difficult times. It's a good thing. Uh, sometimes you might maybe feel like, I don't know, if really, you're going to call it a family room? Like, that's kind of, I don't know. That's what it is. Like, we're we're maybe not all biological family, but we're walking with each other in this life as a family. It's good to see everybody today. Everybody doing good? I'm glad everybody came. There had to be, everybody had to run a little bit of a, like a, I don't know, it's supposed to be 70 and sunny, and we know that Jesus is with us wherever we are, so you had to think like, he would be with me if I was outside and not at church today. And you guys came anyways. It's good to see you guys. It is good to be here. So we're kind of closing up the sermon series, The Gospel, Then What? Which sounds, uh, it sounds like we're adding to the gospel and we're not adding to the gospel. We are talking about what happens after we encounter the gospel. Uh, We talked about the equation, a little review here. We talked about the equation, how the true equation of walking by faith is Grace, which is God's part, plus faith, which is our part, equals right standing with the Father and right living. We see instructions for this all over in Scripture, and I don't ever want us to lose sight of that. We're going to come back to that equation probably for a long, 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 long time, because as we encounter Scripture that brings behavior, things to light, the temptation is to be so, so it's Jesus and me. And it's not Jesus and you. Jesus did it all, and now how we live as right children with the Father, with right standing with the Father, we got instructions for it. There's stuff we're not supposed to do anymore. There's things that we should do more of. And that's not legalism. That's just instructions on godly living. So we're not going to, we talked early on, we're not going to uh, read around Scripture anymore. We're going to, not that I say anymore like we have, but we're going to really focus on Step by step, working our way through Scripture, and if we find some correction, if we find some, we're going to just talk about it. I'm not going to tell anybody how to live. That's not my job. I'm going to share Scripture, what the Lord laid on my heart, and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. We talked about sin, hamartia, the verb version of sin, the missed mark, how it will always cut us a check of death. Paul explains this a lot in Romans, how the wages of sin, it will always be a wage is death, but the gift of God, the free gift, the unearned gift of God is grace. It's righteousness. It's a, it's a gift. We looked at how identity is the problem, uh, but it's also the solution. We struggle to understand that we're not trying to earn a new identity, but we were given a new identity. It's important to understand that we are a royal generation. We're not trying to be one. You actually already are that. There's so many things looking back through that we could sit on and review. We could have really super long review things, and we've done that before. And I know it's always a huge blessing to go back over everything for hours and hours, but we're going to try and get into some new stuff this morning. Um, Like we talked about, identity is the solution. The the one thing that I wanted to circle back a little and rewind, rewind, remember, is how the Sunday that we talked about 
not showing up to our same old office. Remember we talked about that a little bit? It's really easy to still show up as the same person. Wake up every morning, it's like, well, I am whatever your bad habit, your thing that, your, your vice, your particular problems, well, I am that. And the Lord's like, you know, you're not that anymore. I gave you a C-suite office. Like, stop showing up to there. Stop showing up to there. And it's a process. We looked at pacing ourselves. This isn't a... Uh, this is a walk of life, not a sprint to the death. Remember we talked about that. This is, we just pace ourselves, the pace of a walk. Last week we looked at the buddy system. We got to do this together. The only way this works is together. We've talked a lot the last three weeks about this body working together. This body uh, partnering together. Luke gave us a real clear picture last week. The buddy system is not leaving the camp alone. It's a simple thing. The enemy hunts people that are alone. That's how it works. The enemy roams about as a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. We talk lions hunt the antelope that are alone. In the same way, the enemy hunts Christians who are alone. By hunt, I don't mean he can get you and steal your salvation. I'm saying he can attack you and destroy your life. We give access to the enemy in our thoughts. We give access to the enemy in our habits, in the way that we live, the way that we think about ourselves, the way we see ourselves. Never leave camp alone. We talked last week about how uh, a climber trusts his ballet the same way that we are to trust each other in a discipleship relationship. You know, you're rock climbing, you get latched on, you shout, belay on. Then you know the guy is ready to start climbing. He's safe to start. And as believers, we got to show up for each other just like that. And if need be, shout, belay on. I got you. I'm not leaving. Even if you slip and fall, <gasps> I'll just hold the rope here and I got you. We got to view each other with that same level of showing up. This world has taught a master class on abandonment. And we do it in our own lives, we do it in our church lives, we do it in our personal lives and marriage relationships and children parent relationships. There's abandonments across the board. We're great at that. We're great at receiving it. We can let it drive us into the depths of despair, and we're also pretty darn good at delivering on abandonment. But Jesus has called us to something higher. We looked at this last week how in John, the end of Jesus' time on the earth, before he uh, was crucified, he explained to the disciples, I want you to love each other as I have loved you. Remember that, John chapter 15. We looked at, he said, I've loved you agape love. I've loved you unconditionally, which in short means when you don't deserve it, I love you. Not when you do deserve, yes, when you do deserve it, but that's not when we need the reminder, is it? How many of you need the reminder to love somebody with agape love when they've just been awesome to you? Nobody. We need the reminder for the agape love when somebody has shorted us, somebody's not shown up, when somebody's abandoned us, when somebody's, I dare say, wronged us. We need the reminder, as I have loved you, so love one another. My kind of love. Not your kind of love. Your kind of love's conditional. It's basically glorified like. My stuff is love. It's pure, unadulterated, undeserved, agape love. That's how I want you to love each other. We've been given that same instruction. Last week, we also looked at going and making disciples. We got to quit trying to lure hurting people into our buildings, and we have to start carrying the solution to the hurting. 
in, in warfare, we didn't look at this last week, but in warfare, we think of medics. Like, how many of you know, are familiar with the principle of a medic, like a field medic? Somebody that's on the battlefield, they, in, in the World War II, they started putting crosses on their helmets. So it's like, hey, they're a medic. They'd wear an armband, a white armband, or a different colored armband with a cross. It's like, hey, they're a medic. They're not carrying a weapon. They're not active enemy. They're trying to help people that are hurting. That's a fairly new concept. You know that? That's not, a, that's not an old, like, warfare for generations. There was no medics. You go to the battlefield, and you probably aren't coming back if you get injured. In the 1800s, there's a few people that are like, we got to start taking, they would have hospitals in the, back in the day, they would have ways to care for people, but you had to get them there. And people started, like with the advent of firearms and cannons and gunpowder, it's like, we don't have time to get these guys to the hospital. They're going to bleed out. They ain't going to make it. So they came along and said, we need to take, instead of just having hospitals, we got to take the hospitals to the battlefield. So we came up with medics, we came up with the Red Cross, we came up with, we're going to take healing out to where the injury is taking place. And this is a good picture, it's a good reminder for us as believers, we're not called, like, let's make the most elaborate hospital known to mankind and then hope that sick people come. Or we could equip all of you with everything you need for the sick people and then you just go find them. It's really easy to find them. In fact, it's easier to find hurting people than it is to lure them into our buildings. And that's what we're called to do. The Great Commission is one of go ye into all the world. It's not come ye into all the churches. I'm not opposed to people coming to church. I love to see you guys here. I'm not opposed to people bringing visitors to church. That's great. I'm for that. But I'm more for making sure that when we step foot out of this building, we know what we're called to do. We're equipped. As in the metaphor of a soldier, I want to make sure all of our magazines are loaded Everything's locked in. There's one in the chamber, and we know exactly what we're doing. Do we know the gospel? Do we handle this good news of salvation so often that when we encounter someone is hurting, our knee-jerk thing is to apply the gospel? We looked last week, the great commission, which Jesus gave us to go into all the world, teaching them everything I've commanded, making disciples of all nations, We usually, typically in the church, we think of that as Africa. Possibly China, maybe India, but mostly Africa. Huts and Africa. And we looked last week, the Great Commission usually, it sometimes means third world countries or other continents or other hemispheres, sometimes. But most of the time, it means all the way across the street. Or all the way across the break room table. Okay, we probably could just go now. No one's excited about everybody. You guys are all looking at me like, do you have anything else? Anything other than we got to take the gospel to the break room? I'm not sure that's a good, you don't know the people that I work with, Isaac. I understand, but Jesus does. This, this morning, we're going to continue, and this is kind of, we're wrapping this. I don't know if it'll be done today. It'll, today or soon, we'll be kind of through this. We're going to keep circling back to a lot of this stuff throughout the coming year. But this morning, I want to look at something we didn't get to, two things we didn't get to last week. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 13 through 35. It's a big chunk of scripture, but it's okay. We're in church, so it's just fine. We're going to read through that. And uh, look at a couple of things. There's a few little things that I want to draw out. We briefly sketched this. 
Um, last week, a little bit of context here. Jesus had already been raised from the dead. This was on resurrection day. So Sunday, which was equivalent to our Monday, everybody's headed back to work. The big feast weekend is complete. We're headed back. It's the first day of the week. A lot of people are already back to work. These couple of disciples, they're headed away, and they're downtrodden. We'll see it as we read this. It's like they're just, well, there's just no hope. They're just disgusted, disappointed. Pick up in verse 13 of Luke chapter 24. Now behold, two of them, meaning the disciples, two disciples were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. They, walked, they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. They couldn't tell who it was. They didn't recognize him. We're going to read it and come back to it, but we're going to sort of pause a moment or two. It's, we, there's been a lot of speculation on what is this, their eyes being restrained. Did God restrain their eyes? Did they restrain their eyes? Did Satan restrain their eyes? We're not going to park here. We're not going to live in that particular point. But I just want to draw something. I, I want to point something out to you. If you had just seen someone die and you didn't believe they rose again, I dare say a lot of us could see them and we would not be planning on seeing them. We're not looking for them which helps us not recognize them. I don't want to get lost in the weeds. You know what it means to get lost? It's like we're just trying to figure out what are the tense of this word. We're not going to do that with this this morning. But I just want to invite you to consider the possibility that they had just so certainly believed his death and so certainly not believed the account of his resurrection. Like, I don't believe it. It's like, this is obviously not him. Were you, would you be expecting to see him on the road to Emmaus? If you had encountered the events of the resurrection, which is coming up, we're going to celebrate Easter in a few weeks. We're going to talk a little bit more about this, but you wouldn't be anticipating seeing him. So whether it's a spiritual blindness or whether it's whatever the context, the reasoning for it, they didn't recognize him. Verse 17, Jesus, he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? Like, what are you guys talking about? Very comfortable, like he's just walking along the road. This is very, very foreign to us, okay? We don't walk along the road very often, and if we do, usually you have earbuds in and you're trying to get a certain amount of miles or steps in. We're not commonly walking along the road. When we're, when we're doing what these guys were doing, we're in our car. We're driving, and we're like, there's no opportunity to talk to another car, how strange would that be? It's like roll up and say, hey, what are you guys talking about? You guys look pretty bummed. But, so we, we can't really get here, but I invite you to, to get into this story. They're walking along. This guy comes up alongside him. What conversations is you're having one with another and you're sad? The one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened in these days? Like, where have you been? Jesus said to them, What things? I just, I appreciate, there's some humor in these stories. We got to look for them. Sometimes we come so like we got our shirts all pressed and our collars all stood up straight and we're like, and he said to them, what things? It's like, he's playing with them. He's toying with them. What things? Do tell. I want to hear what you guys think about this. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God, and all the people. Jesus is like, well, 
close. Keep on going. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Little word in there I want to look at. The third word of verse 21. But we were. What do we know about somebody who were? Past tense. We're not hoping anymore. We were hoping. We're not hoping anymore. So they tipped. You know, I'm not a gambler or anything, but you know what it means to tip your hand? It's like you're playing cards and you just kind of tip your hand on you. Sort of like, just so you know, this is what I'm holding. They tipped their hand here to the Lord. They're like, we were hoping. He's like, oh, so you're not anymore. He knows. He notices these things. We were hoping it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things had happened. In other words, it ain't happening. That ship sailed. That's how we would say it today. We were hoping he was going to redeem Israel, but that ship sailed. Because today's the third day. What happens after the third day? Like there's this decay. We talked about Lazarus. He'd been in the tomb and he started to stinketh in the King James Decay had taken place. Jesus wasn't coming back. But certain women of our company, verse 22, who arrived at the tomb early, astonished us. So there's a little bit of astonishment. When they did not find his body, they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, they, but him they did not see. This is sort of like they're like, we even, there was a moment that we got our hopes up, but then they didn't see Jesus. And so, like, obviously, unbelief is very natural in this moment. So Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. I mean, if you're these guys, excuse me? Foolish ones? Jesus goes on. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to, to enter into his glory? It's a rhetorical question. He's not expecting them to answer because he just knocked them on their heels with, oh, foolish ones. They were reeling. It's like, I don't even know what to say to this guy. We don't know this guy. He's walking along with us and all of a sudden, he's like, you, oh, foolish ones. Slow of heart to believe. And they're like, what do you know? We were with him. We followed him. We saw him die. We didn't see him this morning. I'm adding, I'm, I'm adding some context. I, I want you to... I'm not adding to scripture, but I want you to think about, put yourself in this spot. You're walking along. You don't recognize this guy. You witness the death, burial, and not resurrection of Jesus, you think. You hadn't seen him. There's a few people thought, but it's just a vision from angels. They didn't see Jesus. So verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself which is one of the places that we really see clearly, Jesus definitively explained that he's all over in the Old Testament. He said, I'm everywhere. Watch, I'll show you. I'll start with Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Jesus is everywhere in it. Now, this is a little fun thing. We're in the story here. I hope you guys are following me in the story. We're on the road to Emmaus. It's a little dusty. These guys are kind of a little unsure. They're like, we're not really sure what we're going to say at this point because he called us foolish and slow of heart to believe. And then he explained everything about this Messiah. So they're walking. And I want you to think about this. They're walking. We read earlier, it's seven miles. 
Now, seven miles takes a while if you're in shape and running. We have, I mean, these guys were obviously likely in better shape even than me. Gasp, collective gasp, because they walked everywhere. So they were in better shape than me, and, but they were walking, and they were walking and talking, which means they weren't rushing. He teaches them all the way. Verse 28, we see they drew near to the village where they were going. So this is not Jesus explaining three verses from Deuteronomy where it's like, ah, kind of see there's a Messiah there. He's explaining in great detail. It says, beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in how many scriptures? All the scriptures. Jesus was not wasting time. Each step he was explaining to, him, explaining to these guys where he was in scripture. Now, we're gonna, we'll finish this up through verse 31, and then I want to kind of go back. The last 28 through 31 is where we're going to look at here. <clears throat> he indicated to them that he would have gone further, verse 29, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, stay here, for it's toward evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Bow with me if you would. Father, I just thank you so much that you're here with us right now, that you're opening our hearts just as you opened the eyes and the hearts of these young men on the way to Emmaus. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning in this story, that you would reveal our marching orders even out of this story. We would be able to hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. couple things to look at in this story. We got, there's two, two different stories we are hoping to look at this morning, so we're not going to spend forever on this. But do, is everybody fairly comfortable that we kind of understand this story a little bit, at least this chunk of it? These guys are walking with Jesus. They're walking. They're downtrodden while they're walking. Jesus comes alongside. You're, everybody pretty familiar? We're up to this. We read the story. few things. When Jesus discovered that they didn't believe he had been raised from the dead, which is fairly early in the story, he settles in for a long walk. He's like, well, these guys don't believe. I venture a guess that if Jesus had been walking along and he sees these guys, he's like, what are you guys so excited about? And they're like, well, I'll tell you a secret. The Messiah's here, and he was raised from the dead this morning. How much you, I, I venture a guess that he would have said, yeah, and I'm here right now. Boom, the road to Emmaus is a lot shorter story. But he perceives by their, by their explanation, their own account, they don't believe. So he's like, I guess we're walking today. So he starts walking. When he encounters their unbelief, he settles in for a long walk. I love that he taught them on the road. Number one, instead of leaving them in their unbelief, and number two, instead of inviting them to the local Bible study on Wednesday night. That's not to be down on Bible studies on Wednesday night, but Jesus did his ministry along the road. He's like, oh, you guys are walking? I'll walk with you. He settles in. He paces himself to them. 
You see us in this, church. We're not looking for us, we're looking for Jesus, but we can't help but see how are we to minister this gospel to the world? The pace of a walk and settle in. Not opposed to Bible studies. Don't hear anyone. I'm absolutely for Bible studies. I know somebody's like, oh, so you don't think we should do Wednesday night Bible? No, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's our primary outreach. I think our primary outreach is whatever path each of you find yourself on throughout the day. It's along the way. He taught them on the road instead of leaving them in their unbelief. There's a temptation for us as believers when we encounter somebody who declares their unbelief. Anybody ever, ever, you ever met somebody who's outspoken about their unbelief? I have met a few people, and they're like, well, I'll tell you what I don't believe, and then they lay into you about how Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, and I don't think there's no way that anybody was actually raised from the dead, and, and this impossible, and heaven's not for real, and they've got all of the answers, right? And they're willing to declare their unbelief. How many of you know the temptation as a human is to be like, whew, guess they got it figured out. I'm going to keep walking. I'll walk somewhere else. I'll slow down or speed up. If you're in that situation with them, it's like, well, they clearly don't believe. There's not much hope. And using them to found this church, we'll just keep walking. But Jesus, he doesn't leave them in their unbelief. He settles in with them. Now, he perceives they have ears to hear. It's implied in the text that he perceived that they were not going to reject his teaching, but he chose to walk with them. Walking with them in their sadness. Oh, that's not super. They had a different belief than he did, and he walked with them. Helped them to see the truth. In verse 28, we see, he drew near to the village. So we're, we're turning up, we're getting close to seven miles into this wander. And he indicated he would have gone further. We look over this so many times. It's like we just read the story. He's like walking along, and he's like, we get to the point, he breaks the bread, and it's like, oh my goodness, their eyes are open. They see, they see communion from four nights earlier, and they're like, whoa. And you can just see if it was a movie, it would be just like this rewind and super fast, and they would see every time. They would see when he fed the 5,000, and he broke the bread, and he blessed it. And then they would see all of these different instances, if it was a movie, and then, whoa, this is Jesus. And then he vanished. We get to that point, but way before we get there, we see in verse 28, Jesus indicated he would have gone further. Jesus is in it for the long haul, church. You know that? Whew. We get to be in it for the long haul with our fellow believers and with those that don't know Jesus yet. We got to relax, calm down, and start walking. I'll go further. We keep walking. No, no, I'm good. We can keep walking. Jesus is like, do you want to go further? Because I can just keep walking, and we can keep teaching. We can keep walking. And they're like, no, no, no. But you see, they weren't put off by him. They weren't put off by him. They weren't like, no, you keep going. We're going to stay. You see, he connected with them because he walked their pace. He taught their pace. They wanted him to stay with them. And I love, in the end of verse 29, they constrained him. They're like, no, 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 by all means, abide with us. Stay here. It's evening. It's a stranger at this point to them. They don't know this is Jesus. They're like, stay with us. The day is far spent. End of verse 29, it says, 
he went in to stay with them. Understand, the point I want to draw out of this, and we got to keep moving because we got a whole other story we're going to look at this morning. He intended to stay with them until they understood. That's the point I want to get out of this. He said, I'll walk with you. We'll do seven miles. I'll keep going. If y'all want to keep going, I'll keep going. We're going to keep walking. We're going to keep teaching. I will go with you. And the way, the way that we know this is because verse 31, their eyes were open. They knew him. And he's like, all right, my work here's done. And he vanished. Ah, oh, there's so much in this church. As Christians, we do that part first. Don't we? We do that part first. We find out somebody doesn't believe in Jesus and then we're just like, we're just gonna vanish. We got that mastered. We got the vanishing part mastered. I don't know how this is gonna go, Lord. This could be a very long walk. It could be seven miles. So I'm out. I'm gonna vanish. Because we don't know. I don't know. What am I gonna say? What if they say, well, what do you, what do you think about the resurrection? What am I gonna say to that? Anybody ever had that thought? I don't know what I'm gonna say. And so we just do, we do verse 31 will just vanish from their sight. Do you see what I'm saying? Does this make sense? We're so quick to this. It's like, well, I don't know what they think. I'm not sure if they believe. And I got like 18 minutes, and I don't think it's going to happen in that time, Lord, because we can't even come close. We can't drive seven miles in some places in 18 minutes, so we're going to be done. Um, we're just going to vanish now. We'll just get to verse 31 first. But how many of you know that between verse 19, what things Jesus is asking them, he's asking for their perspective, verse 19 and verse 31, there's seven miles of walking and the indication Jesus would have kept going and he went in to stay with them. He signaled to them, I'm here for the duration. I'm gonna stay and I'm gonna help you understand. As Christians, we tend quickly, we tend easily towards that vanishing act. I don't know what they believe. I know they don't believe what I believe. I'm just done. I love in this story that Jesus discipled them on the road. He walked with them in their unbelief. We love to talk to believers that agree with us, don't we? I do. It's super encouraging to talk to people that are in the same camp, that know what we believe and we believe in Jesus. And that's good. And that's important. That's iron sharpening iron. But there's a point where we got to go out and walk the seven mile walks. We got to meet someone in their unbelief and walk at their pace and help explain to them and show them that we're there for the long haul. Let's, let's do the long haul. You know, grace is always the long way. Grace is always, a, it's a long way. It's, Jesus did the long way. That's how he operated. If Jesus did the short way, he would have been here in the Garden of Eden. He's like, I'm gonna come in a few thousand years. We got this whole plan? Watch, I'm a planner. I heard a guy this last week say, we all need, as Christians, we need to relax. We're under the care and shepherding of the world's greatest planner ever. When you look at the things, the events that, lead up to the crucifixion and how they timed out with the sacrifices from 1,500 years earlier, he's a planner. Jesus is a planner. We gotta be willing to meet people on the road and walk with them. Help them 
to see the truth. Ministry takes place. Today, the title, if you were going to title the message today, it would be the gospel, then what? On the way. Ministry takes place on the way. Discipleship takes place on the way. We're going to look at another instance of this in just a couple minutes. But before we do that, it's really neat when churches have internal discipleship programs. You ever been to a church or you ever heard of programs where it's like, we got this discipleship program and I'm not throwing stones at anybody. Don't anybody hear that I'm throwing stones? I just want to talk about this. Um, It's fine to do that. I'm not opposed to it. But the, the problem is we as humans, we love to organize, to chart, to score, and to grade things. We like to put levels. It's like, well, like we could have Tom, he would be the, the, like, probably the head of the discipleship. And then maybe Sonny, he could be like another leader. And Todd, he could be a leader. And then we have like some lesser people. And we, did, we start to organize this stuff, don't we? We love to grade things. It's like, well, you know, who probably knows the most Bible verses? Like we should maybe put them at the top. And then anybody, if you don't know any Bible verses, well, we'll just put you at the bottom. And we tend to grade things and we like to, we like to schedule and make these little graph charts. It's like, well, they, obviously these are the leaders and obviously these are not the leaders. And we, we tend to this and we turn organic things into programs. We, we turn things that Scripture has given us as an organic thing, as a way of life. Discipleship is not meant to be, here's a curriculum, here's a book, everybody fill in the blanks, and hopefully everybody comes to the exact same conclusion on everything. Discipleship is supposed to be an organic thing. Organic, it's, it's just taking place because you guys are, we're all getting a hold of this gospel, it becomes something we can't no longer contain in our hearts, and so it starts to leak out and spill out, and all of a sudden, Trey's on a sales call, and he's like, you know what, I, I, this guy maybe needs a forklift, but I think he needs Jesus. So he starts tell, sharing Jesus with this guy, and then before you know it, they're texting back and forth scripture, back and forth. This guy's got, hey, I got a couple questions about this passage of scripture. Next thing you know, he's discipling this guy. It's supposed to be organic, but you know what Trey could do to dis- to derail that whole thing. I'm picking on you, you just walked back in. But you could, if you met this guy and you're like, I think this guy needs Jesus. And so you're like, let's get the forklift deal done. So we get the forklift deal done and he's still like, this dude needs Jesus. So he's like, you know what I have? I have a discipleship program at a church full of people you've never met that you need to come join. Here you go, here's a card. All right, we'll see you then. That guy's like, that was awkward. And he moves on. There's no, the opportunity came. It was there. And then along that wayside where we see Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, he could just say, well, you guys are just full of unbelief. You need to get your stuff figured out. He walks away. We're like, well, those are the guys. How are you going to finish Luke 24 if you don't do ministry like you? You see what I'm saying? Like, as believers, we love to organize things. We can turn these organic things into programs the problem is when we turn them into levels and we add charts and we have these programs and we got titles and we call them things that are churchy and we have our Christian words, we speak Christianese, the problem is it becomes self-righteousness and earning and maintaining standing with the Father real quick. Real quick. We start saying things like, did you come to discipleship class last week? And they're like, well, no, no, I, 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 I didn't because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. Um, and it turns out I'm not going to be here next Sunday either. The 
That's, do you hear how that goes? It's real quick that we can go from something that the Lord intended to be an organic thing, a good thing, a growth thing, where we reach out to each other, where we reach out to the world, and we're like, I'm going to sow some seeds. I'm going to meet with these people. And then we put a church label on it. And we're like, you know what we should probably? We should probably appoint leaders. We should, then they're appointed leaders, so it's harder for them to quit. But you know what they start doing immediately as soon as you appoint a formal leader to it? They start wanting to quit. Because it's like, this feels, wow, a lot like the yoke that I had on before. It's uncomfortable. How do you get out of this? And then the pastor comes along like, you don't. Oh. And then we make it where you got to leave the church to stop doing something. This was not in my notes. But it's important. We could get back to the notes. When things become organized... They tend to lose their authenticity and in turn lose their efficacy. Whose kid is that? (laughs) We're going to get him tennis shoes that don't have heels on them. (laughs) Things can very easily, when we we get over, I didn't mean organized, when they get over-organized. I've been a part of things that were overorganized. I've probably facilitated stuff that got overorganized in my life. I know I have. I'm sure that if we passed the mic from one end of this room to the other, we'd have more than the rest of the afternoon's testimonies in things being overorganized. There's another story that we were going to look at in the same level of depth that we did here, but you guys all have places to go for supper, so we're not going to do that. There's an example, though. Um, Peter wrote to us, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, said, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed anyways. You're blessed anyways. And do not be afraid of, empty of their threats, nor be troubled. Verse 15, But sanctify who the Lord God is in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you, with meekness and fear, having good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, they may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Verse 15, sanctify who the Lord God is in your hearts. Be always ready. There's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. I want to read it. We started a couple of minutes late, so I'm going to go a couple of minutes long here. I want to get through this because this fits with what the Lord, I really feel like this is for us today. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 9. This is a story. So Paul's ministry kind of comes to a head here. Um, he had been planting churches all over the world, at that, the known world at that point in time. And he wanted to share the gospel with the Roman emperor. This was on his heart. He wanted to share the gospel. He's like, if I get the Roman emperor born again, we're going to change this whole Roman empire for the kingdom of heaven. And we see he's on the way. Now he's doing this all as a prisoner because he's like, I'm ready in season, out of season. This looks like it's a little out of season, but that's no problem. We're going to keep rolling. He kept sharing the gospel. He shared the gospel with Festus. He shared the gospel with King Agrippa. Everybody that he came in contact with, everybody that was like, we need to put this guy to death. Well, he's got to have a trial first. So he goes to trial and then he shares the gospel with them. And they're like, ooh, I don't think we should put him to death. In fact, maybe we should agree with him. I think... I think maybe that's true. And this keeps happening. But he's on the way to Rome. He's on the way. So in that day, 
the Roman emperor was, they thought they were gods. The emperors, now I dare say that in their heart of hearts, the emperors all knew they weren't, but their society told them they were gods. They operated like God. They, we are like a God, they thought. The, I mean, you understand, these Roman emperors have affected our civilization even today, drastically. For instance, 4th of July falls in what month? Named after Julius Caesar where we got the name of the month. What comes after July? Augustus Caesar. There's all, these guys were big deals. Even today they affected things. So Paul's like, these guys are shaping human history. I would like to share the gospel with them. And really, if we're looking through scripture, aside from the person of Jesus Christ, he's like the best guy for it. Right? I mean, he was trained as an attorney like legally he was very brilliant. He was trained in all the Old Testament scriptures. He could argue every which way around everything out of scripture, make the case for the gospel. He had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, this like completely supernatural experience. There was miracles taking place as a result of his ministry. I think he was the guy. He would go argue in uh, Athens and in uh, like big legal religious, he would make the case for the gospel. And you never see, there's not one instance recorded in scripture where Paul's like befuddled. Ah, boy, I don't know. Uh, I'm not real sure what to say to that. He was ready always. He was so comfortable with this gospel. It's like, I absolutely would love to share the gospel with the most powerful man in all the free world, or not so free world at that point in time. I want to share the gospel with him. Present, make the case for Christianity to these guys who are naming months of the year after themselves. I'd change the world. What's so awesome is in that moment, Paul doesn't lose sight of everybody between him and the emperor. He's ministering to everybody. He's ready all the time. It would be so easy if you had the commission laid on your heart. It's like, you know what? I'm supposed to share the gospel the most powerful with the president of the United States. That's what I'm, I feel called to share the gospel with the president of the United States. And it's like, you think I got time to share the gospel with like a Walmart greeter? Well, not likely, because I'm going to see, like you see, I'm going to see the president. Um, is there another lesser Christian that could share the gospel with the Walmart greeter? Because I'm going to see the, do you see how that works? We get these hierarchies like, well, I'm going to see the Roman emperor. So everyone else just make a path, Help me get there. Take care of all the other things. That's not what Paul did, though. Paul's like, everybody. Everybody I come in contact with, they're going to bump up next to and brush into the gospel of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts. Let's see. We'll start in... i got to get more... They're on a boat. There's a lot of story to get here, church. Did everybody have enough coffee? They're on a boat. That's how they traveled then. They didn't travel on planes. If they had, it would have been a plane crash on the island of Malta. But they're traveling along on this boat. The boats, they're, they're sailing in a weird time of the year, a time of year where the sailors are like, I don't think this is a great idea. And they end up shipwrecking. This is a fast-forward version of this. They end up shipwrecking on this nobody island of Malta. This isn't like a destination. This is a spot on the way. 
problems struck. They were on a boat. He was all geared up. I'm going to Rome. I got to polish this, shine this, polish this, shine this. I'm all ready. I got all the right defenses. I got all the PowerPoints prepared. I think Paul was like me, though. I don't think he did PowerPoints. But he's got all of his stuff all ready to go. He's ready to share the gospel. He's memorizing. He's going over his scripture in this. I'm going to make this point, and then I'm going to make this point. I'm going to make this point, and also the boat's going to sink. So they shipwreck on this island of Malta. There's nobody, nowhere island of Malta. Verse 1, we see now when they had escaped, they escaped from the boat. The boat went down. Nobody was lost. Read this whole story on your own time. I'm not going to, I'm going to miss a whole bunch of details. Read Acts 26, 27, 28. That's your homework. Everybody will be blessed by it. I promise you. We get to verse 1 of Acts chapter 28. We see now when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. It was such a big place that they're like, we don't even know what this place is called. It's a little podunk island. I don't know what's going on here. The natives showed us unusual kindness. They kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Verse three, but when Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, that's a picture, isn't it? He throws the wood in, out comes a viper, and then it's just hanging there. This is uncomfortable. The natives saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said one to another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. You, we think we invented karma like in the last two, three hundred years. No, they believe in karma. It's like, this is, it's come around. This guy's a murderer. He escaped the shipwreck, which was supposed to take him down, and now this viper, it'll do it. But he shook the creature off into the fire. I love it. He's not fear. It's like, I, this is not why I'm here. This is a serpent. I'm done with a serpent. He shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. Verse 6, however, they were expecting he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. They had planned it. They're like, this, not planned the attack, but they're like, he's going to die. He shook the viper off, but he's going to die. But after they had looked on for a long time and saw no harm come to him, then they changed their minds. They said, he must be a god. Verse 7, in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and enter entertained us courteously for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick of fever and dysentery. So Paul went to him and prayed, laid hands on him, and healed him. Verse 9, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Paul was on his way to Rome. And there was ministry afoot. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 reads, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season be ready out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Just as with most of life, scheduling ministry doesn't always work. It's more often on the way or in the off-season. This was the off-season for Paul. It was on the way. He was going somewhere to do big ministry, right? He was going somewhere to minister the gospel to the emperor of the most powerful republic in the free or not free world. 
That's a big deal. And on the way to what he thought was going to be the biggest ministry opportunity of his life, he shares the gospel on the island of Malta. He ministers healing to sick people. Are we ready in season and out of season? This is a, not a negative, are we ready, okay? This sounds heavy and like, oh, are we ready? This is an opportunity. I want to invite you. We, today, we can be just as ready as Paul was, so wherever you find yourself, sometimes boats sink. Whoa. Sometimes they sink. And Paul was unfluttered by this. I was like, oh, well, the boat sunk. He shook the viper off. Let's all get dry and warm. Oh, there's a sick guy. Well, let's go see the sick guy. He, he wasn't, I need to sit by this fire and I need to prepare my message for the Roman emperor. No, let's go find the sick guy. Oh, you know what? There's a bunch of sick people here. We'll bring them all out. Do we, are we ready to engage and lock horns with our society Confident in the gospel that we carry. Not confident in ourselves. We're nothing. We're apart from Christ, we're nothing. But we're never apart from Christ. So when we step out of this building, when we step into our job tomorrow, when we step into our homes this afternoon, into whatever we have going this week, I invite you, it is a positive thing. Throw your shoulders back. Not arrogantly. Throw your shoulders back confident. I'm gonna minister the gospel of Jesus. I will walk at the pace of a walk just like Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus. I'll do, and I'm gonna indicate that I'll go further with them. That sounds like a burden to everybody. It's an opportunity, and it gets exciting. Uh, a long time ago, a, a friend of mine really had, gave me the encouragement. It's not your job to convince anybody of anything. And there's a tremendous freedom in that. There's like a lot of free, it, I'm more comfortable today than I ever have been ministering the gospel to somebody because I know I don't have to convince them of anything. You don't have to convince anybody, anybody of anything. Just plant the seeds. Just plant the seeds with confidence. I'm going to sow the seeds. I, this is what I believe. I'd like to introduce you to my Jesus. Well, how does that work? Well, I'll show you. I don't know if I believe that. It's okay. It's not, we don't leave here, it's like, Everybody, get your ball bat ready. We're going to beat some people into heaven. That's not how this works. We just go, we sow our seeds. We walk the pace of a walk. There's no pressure in a walk. Walking is, we'll just walk with people. Well, and the, the idea behind this walking, this on the way ministry, is it's not usually scheduled and planned. It just takes place. You find yourself Everybody knows what it means to kind of just, like, I just, I found myself in this spot, and it's like, what am I going to do? Let our default setting be proclaim the gospel. Not like an arrogant blowhard. A lot of you are saying, did you say that in the mirror? I know. I'm working on it. But just minister the gospel with kindness. Minister the gospel with gentleness. With patience. I'll go, I'll go further. You want to keep meeting? Let's get, let's get lunch tomorrow. Ah. The temptation. We're, we do, in organized religion, we do this thing where it's like, we'll schedule a meeting with an unbeliever, somebody we know. Hey, you know what? 
Joe. They don't know Jesus. We're going to go minister to Joe. And we meet with them on a Wednesday. And we maybe call, I'll call Trey and I'll call Tom and I'll text a few of you guys like, hey, I'm going to meet with Joe. And then, you know, Monday or Tuesday afternoon after we, we meet, they're like, how'd it go? Well, we ate. So did you get him born again? No, but we finished our meals. Oh. Do you see what I, like, we can, t- we can take such disappointment. It's like, well, you, what do you mean you walked that first hundred yards of the seven-mile walk and you didn't get him to believe? No. It's going to keep walking. We're going to meet next week. We're going to meet next week. We're going to meet next week. We're going to keep sharing the gospel. I'm going to go help him with something. He's got a project. I'm going to go help him. This is the on-the-way ministry. This is discipleship. This is what is before us as believers. This is what the good works, Ephesians chapter 2, we memorize verses 8 and 9 in the church, but verse 10 says, talks about the good works which God prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. He gave us as a gift. It's like, this is what I have for you guys to do, is to go out and walk seven miles, indicate you'll go further, and on the way, when you're on your way to your big ministry opportunity, when the ship sinks, don't lose your focus, don't lose your cool. It's just the gospel on Malta instead of the gospel in Rome. Do you know the gospel is the exact same in Malta as it is in Rome? It's exactly the same when you got your sight set on this person. It's like, man, I gotta get this guy born again. And then you encounter the guy cleaning the bathrooms. The gospel, that guy needs Jesus just as much as the CEO does. All the people we encounter are created in the image of God and we are called to administer the gospel to them. It's exciting. This is a positive thing. You, church, are equipped for this. The Holy Spirit, if you're here today and you believed in Jesus as your righteousness, your Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you and will give you the words to speak. Walk with confidence. Let's study. Let's study the Word of God. Show ourselves approved. Let's sow the seeds that the Lord reveals to our hearts into the world around us. If you would, stand with me this morning. I'd like to dismiss us with a declaration. It's an invitation. This isn't a magic thing. This is an invitation to lock horns with our weak, with the confidence that comes from knowing that we are loved and that Jesus has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Here at Revelation Rock, we declare this morning that we are blessed. We are blessed and highly favored in Christ Jesus, not on our own merits or our own accounts. We know that this is not a guarantee that we will always have smooth sailing, but rather confidence because we have a guarantee we're never sailing alone. This natural world isn't for us. We know that, but we agree with the Apostle John when he wrote, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We declare with the psalmist that the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, so we step with confidence knowing we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. Patience, perseverance, joy, peace, kindness, and the love of God. These are the fruits that are being wrought from our lives as we walk by faith with the boldness of lions guided by the Spirit of God. Bow with me if you would. Father, I thank you so much for this body. Thank you for every man, woman, and child that's in this room. I pray a blessing and anointing to flow over them as they step from this place. Father, show us the -the on-the-way ministry that you have for us. Show us the -the on-the-way discipleship that you have for us. Give us the confidence to slow our pace to a walk and to indicate that we will walk further. 
Jesus, I just thank you so much for the example that you set for us, for promising to never leave us nor forsake us. Pray a blessing over this body. We would go from this place with boldness and confidence. We would go from this place with peace. Full of hope, Lord. The hope of eternity, which is greater than any threat or any fear or any worry that is, exists in this life. Pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.